Good morning, everybody. This is Alex Dolan. You're listening to Thrill Seekers Radio. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and I'm thrilled to have on again Randall Silvis, who's the author of a large body of work. I believe it's been translated into 11 different languages at this point, but Randall can can call me out on that if I'm getting my facts wrong. Um, and I were I was able to to read Walking the Bones, which is the second novel in the Ryan DeMarco series, and really wanted to talk to him about it. So, Randall, thanks for coming back. Hey, Alex. Uh, thanks for asking. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah. So, um, I guess I, I'm always intrigued when I talk with, like, you're not necessarily a series writer, although you are writing this series. You've written all all of everything from poetry to um, uh, to short stories, to, to standalone novels. Um, I guess does it, I loved the book Walking the Bones. I loved Two Days Gone. What did you feel like was different about either the Ryan DeMarco character or uh, the, the the first book that you thought this would be a good series for you? Um, actually, it wasn't my decision. It was uh, <laughs> it, it was a publisher, and as they say, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't yeah. I do not like series. I did I did one series for Saint Martin um, when I was writing a couple of Poe novels, and the um, I was orphaned. My editor switched jobs shortly after the first one was uh, published, and the second one, the editor the um, new editor just you know it wasn't his baby he didn't really pay much attention to what was going on and and i just had a hard time finding anything new to say about poe because i thought i'd said it all the first book so um i i it was a bad experience for me i i swore i would never do another series but the people at source books are just so accommodating and so sweet and so supportive that i i didn't want to turn them down and as i said they uh shook a big bag of money at me so i said yes (laughs) you've heard it here first the sound of randall silvis selling out (laughs) 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 no but i i it's it's weird i don't normally read series myself i totally respect series authors but one of the things i loved about this is I, i thought walking the bones for those who haven't um read the series uh, it's the second book. The first book was Two Days Gone that came out last year, uh, and Two Days Gone was fantastic. But this works, at, for me, it worked as a standalone, too. Um, and I guess, you know, now that you were tasked with writing book two, I guess, can you talk a little bit about um, the character for those who aren't aren't initiated and talk about, you know, what you wanted to do different and how you wanted to build the story now that you, you knew you had to write a book two? Sure. Um, I guess I'll get to, to to Ryan DeMarco, that character, in a moment. Um, whenever, whenever Anna Michaels, my wonderful editor at Sourcebooks, told me that they wanted me to do a series, you know, I, I first first said no, I couldn't possibly, and, we, and she kept arguing with me and beseeching me, and I <laughs> and I finally said, I said, I'll tell you what, um, the only way I can do it is if I can make each book different. And I, not only, I, to me, it's not enough just to make the story different, uh, to tell a different story each time. Um, 
I need to find, first of all, I need to find ways that Ryan DeMarco can grow in every book because that's very important to me, that, that character arc. In fact, it's more important to me than the plot. And I said, I also have to find some way to make each book structurally or thematically different. So I said, if you agree that you're not looking for me to do the same thing with each book, um, if you can allow me that kind of freedom, then I'll go ahead and sign a contract. And so that's, that's how the, the four book contract came about. Um, so Ryan DeMarco is, you know, in order to, to have room for him to grow, he has to be a very flawed individual to begin with. And, and he is, and he's, he's reeling from, he, he's, uh, in book one in two days gone he um he's a sergeant with the pennsylvania state police and um he's reeling from the death of his only child uh when ryan jr was just a baby um he ryan sergeant demarco and his wife lorraine and the baby in 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 the car seat were um in their vehicle and DeMarco blames himself for a moment of inattention and um, his vehicle was T-boned by another car and, uh, and the baby was killed. So he's, he's unwilling to let go of the guilt. He's unwilling to experience happiness or to allow himself any happiness now because he feels so guilty for that. And the, the incident also caused the dissolution of his marriage there, he and his wife have been apart for 12 years and when two days gone starts they're not divorced they're estranged she lives um she lives about let's see he lives in mercer county she lives in erie so it's a, it's an hour away and um they have a very strange relationship she finds ways to punish him and he tolerates the punishment uh after all these years because he blames himself anyway so he thinks that he's deserving of the punishment and that's one of the subplots of the story. Yeah, and, and it felt like when I was reading, it's interesting to hear you talk about how you wanted to do something different in each of the books, because it felt like two days gone, and, it, and again, I, this is my, my own takeaway, um, but it felt like it was a lot about the relationship between him and, this, and the other character in the book, and it was almost kind of a chase story. Um, you know, almost sort of like a, a fugitive <laughs> kind of story. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's sort of, and he very much was mired in this old relationship with his estranged wife and not wanting to let go. And, um, and I, you know, and so then we go from that into walking the bones, which feels like, a lot more of a, I don't want to say traditional because it's a, it's a unique story, but um, a lot more of a detective novel. And it's, it's you know, Ryan DeMarco solving the, the murders of, of several, uh, several bodies that have been found. And um, so I, I, you know, I thought that was, I actually really, now that you mentioned it, I really liked the fact that you, you know, intentionally, has set a different theme and sort of a different stylistic tone in the the two books. Um, do you, so you have, this will be a four book series. Yes. Yes. Do you have a sense of, of what book, how book three will diverge from the first two? 
Well, I, I'm 40,000 words into it right now. So, uh, <laughs> so it's at some point, but yeah, but not now. Yeah. All right. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm still sort of searching for the unique voice that I want to ha- want it to have, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm bringing the character in as a first person. It, it's told in third person with multi, with uh, uh, dual points of view. It has Jamie's point of view and DeMarco's point of view. So it, it goes back and forth. Mainly it's DeMarco's throughout as it was in the first book. But uh, Jamie's also comes in and we get her perspective on things every now and then. And I'm um, also, but those are all to, those are told in, in, uh, in, uh, limited, limited omniscient third person, and but I also bring in the killer from time to time uh, in first person. Um, so it, it it's a, again it's a very more of a police procedural certainly than book one was, um, and because of that, there's a lot of tedious legwork and um, the the sense of urgency that I was able to get into book one um, was not so apparent in book two because it was more of a police procedural and this one is also a police procedural but there are a lot of other things going on in it uh, besides uh, a, a wrinkle in the relationship with Jamie and also the care that the killer's narrative was going on and also I brought DeMarco back uh, as you know in, in book two um, it takes place in Kentucky they've, they've left the Pennsylvania State Police but and it also ended with uh, Maybe I shouldn't tell how how book two ended. Uh, <laughs> there's also a reason for him to come back to Western Pennsylvania in book three, and when he is back there, he meets an old um, football teammate from high school. When he went to, he grew up in Youngstown, which is across the border in Ohio, and he meets an old uh, teammate who is now the uh, Mahoning County Chief of Police from Mahoning County, Ohio, and he involves, the chief brings uh, DeMarco and, and Jamie into uh, what appears to be a copycat murder of the uh, Cleveland Torso murders from back in the 1930s and 1940s that Elliot Ness failed to solve. So um, there is that main narrative, that, that's the thread that runs through, is, is they're helping with that. But it's also bringing him back to Youngstown, where, as you know from book book two, Walking the Bones, um, Ryan did not have a happy upbringing. Um, he had a lot of trauma in, in, in his youth, and uh, he's now forced to kind of revisit all that by being back in Youngstown um, most every day. And as I said, there's a new wrinkle in the relationship with Jamie, and also we have the killer's narrative um, going throughout as well. And and just to for people listening in, so Jamie is is a new. This is a new relationship that started in book two, and it's kind of bringing him out of this kind of holding pattern he'd been in for twelve years with his estranged wife, and it sort of feels like emotionally now he's he's moving on, and that's that's where the Jamie character comes in. Yeah, Jamie made a cameo in book one in, in uh, Two Days Gone. She was She's a trooper. Um, she was working on her master's degree in psychology, and they had had, a, they had had a brief affair. She wanted it to be more that he wouldn't allow himself to do that because it felt good, <laughs> and he didn't, want to, he didn't want to have any happiness because he felt he didn't deserve it. And, and at the end of book one, 
um, he uh, he makes a decision that uh, that he need, that he needs to move on. So in book two, they they are together. So I knew that I you know you grew up in Pennsylvania. What uh, what drew you to Kentucky as a setting for this book? Um, I started looking for a, for a new home for me, and so I was. <laughs> I was driving all around the country. Uh, Kentucky was one of the first places I researched because it's midway between my two sons. I have one son who lives in Kansas City, Missouri, and one son who lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ah. And, and Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is uh, near near Western uh, Kentucky, um, is all is exactly according to MapQuest midway between my two sons. So that was an area I was looking for. Um, for a home. But I also decided that as one of the criteria for my new home, I had to either be living in or to be able to see mountains. And there are no mountains in Western Kentucky. So after I started the novel in a made up uh, small town in Western Kentucky, then I moved to DeMarco to the mountains of Eastern Kentucky. Okay. So are you living in Kentucky right now? No, I'm uh, I'm still living in Mercer County, uh, Western Pennsylvania. But okay. I I, um, I have plans in about uh, ten days to go down to Virginia and look at some homes that I've bookmarked for myself. And you, uh, are you I assume that when you visit your sons, you're making. Are you driving? Yes. Yeah. That's a long. Those are long drives. They are long drives. I have made. Um, I have made. I think four trips in the last 12 months, uh, two of them, two of them into the Ozarks and into Kentucky and Tennessee, and then two of them uh, down as far south as uh, the northern border of Georgia, looking for homes in the Appalachian range there. Okay. Um, you're a good dad. <laughs> All right, <laughs> well, so I love my son more than anything in the world, so I... I and I keep uh, beseeching one of them to give me a grandchild so that I can, you know, I can bounce somebody on my knee because my boys won't stand still for a hug anymore. So, uh, so you feel like if you're closer to them, you'll have more leverage to emotionally blackmail them into giving you a grandchild. There you go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, well, uh, I wanted to, you talked about something uh, a few minutes ago, the torso murders, um, that Elliot Ness failed to solve. I don't know much about that. Can you can you talk a little bit more? Oh yeah, there, there were. Uh, I can't give the exact dates. I have it on my hard drive, but I tend to put things. I write things down so I can look at them when I need them, and the rest of the time I just forget them. But I know that it was. I think it was it ran from something like 1930 to 1938, and um, a series of murders in which they all had the same kind of MO. Um, they were generally derelicts. Uh, they lived in a shanty town um, outside of Cleveland. Um, they were, uh, uh, they were all dismembered. Uh, most of the men were castrated and I think they were all uh, decapitated as well. And there were also uh, several Similar types of murders that at, during that same time and even earlier in the in the late twenties that took place um, over this way in in uh, Lawrence County around Newcastle, which is about fifteen minutes from where I live. So there 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 seems to be someone who well there is someone who is 
using the same MO. They've killed three people in Youngstown when book three starts. Um, they, they are dismembered and decapitated as well. And the media, of course, wants to tie them all together because there were two, two murders that took place like that uh, in, uh, in Youngstown in 1988, two the fictitious ones, not real ones. Right. Uh, that, that also seemed to be related to the mob because there was a, a lot of mob uh, business going on in Youngstown at one point. It was the murder capital of the country. Um, and so the media is trying to tie all three of them together, although of the likelihood that someone committed the murders in 1930 and was also committing them in, in 2000. And 19 is is unlikely, but somebody is copycatting the methods for one reason or another. Huh. Interesting. There are there are so many. It's it's you know I, I'm so used to the once the media took off with television in the mid 20th century that you know I feel like the crimes, the really horrible crimes that we hear about, there's there can be the assumption that it's just started to like, there's been this explosion in horrific crime that's coincided with the, with the media. And, and yet there are tons of examples of crimes that happened before there was ever, um, you know, uh, certainly before there was television. But, and the one I'm right. thinking of is, uh, I think it was in the twenties maybe. And there was, I think the man called himself the ax man. And he was, this was something that was uh, cribbed by the TV show American Horror Story, but it was a real series of crimes. Oh. And he would, he would make a public announcement that if every home wasn't playing jazz, he would go into that house and kill people and did oh, apparently and, and terrorized. Um, I can't even remember. I don't know if it was New Orleans um, uh, or another town, but it might've been New Orleans. But I mean, things like this have been going on forever. <laughs> and, yeah, they they really have. If, yeah. if you just go online and and uh, and Google gruesome murders, you'll find more than you want to read about. There's no question of, uh, about that. Yeah. You know? um, but I, so I really, and that that's kind of what you're bringing. This is sort of the kind of crime that you're bringing into book two, which is so it's making this much different from. Walking the Bones much different from Two Days Gone, and you're and right. you're you're talking about there's a little bit less of a of a ticking clock uh, in in the second book than there was in the first, but I, I certainly don't think it makes it any less suspenseful. Um, and yeah, uh, it, it's a cold yeah. case, so you know th th there's no rush to find the murderer. He's not out there uh, killing other people, but um, it, it certainly becomes a, a compelling objective for Jamie and for DeMarco, but uh, less so, I think, less so, I think, for the, for the overall feel of the book. Yeah, and I think what, what's making the series really satisfying for me is that it's, um, I, you know, I see a lot of series where the main characters is a super sleuth and they follow very common tropes of, of you know, what a series detective is and i and i kind of, i like the fact that ryan demarco seems like somebody who for me feels like a real human being and somebody who is had a you know has been traumatized in multiple ways and like you were saying is is denying himself 
any pleasure because he feels like he's he's undeserving of it. And that's where we meet him in book one and two days gone. And, you know, I, I kind of like the fact that he's, he's sort of creeping into humanity and, and kind of getting over all, you know, in a way by, by virtue of the fact that he's coming back to the town he grew up in, you know, he's, can, he's confronting all these things that have haunted him for so long. Uh, and he's haunted by many different things in his life. Right. Um, so I, uh, there's a human side to this story that I think that, that really anchored it for me and, and made me, you know, there, the thing that I, that I'm excited about in hearing that this is a four book series is that I kind of want to see what happens to him. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that because uh, I, I think those who were looking for a traditional novel, which is all action, right. uh, you know, solving a crime, they should probably just not read my novels because I don't write that. I, I write about characters and this, this character who is trying to work out his own humanity and rediscover his own humanity, um, he just happens to be someone who, who solved murders. So he's put under pressure, which is what I think the plot should do. It puts our characters under pressure so it reveals character and we can see who they, who they really are on the inside. But he also has pressure coming at him from other, other sources too, including his own memories and, and who he wants to be but isn't necessarily able to tell to teach himself how to be so jamie jamie's trying to help him out with that but it's a he's sometimes a hard nut to crack which makes to me makes him a little more interesting yeah you know i mean i'm I'm at the age where uh, where, where people look back on their lives and say what could i have done how could i have done it faster we also know things now that we didn't know when we made all those stupid mistakes and um He's making that same journey. He's he's ten, uh, ten or so years younger than me, so um, he isn't quite to the point of reconciliation with life that that I have come to. But he's working his way towards that and towards a towards a more spiritual uh, outlook on life too, because that's something he's avoided out of anger, and uh, uh, th- that's going to develop more in books three and four. Well, since you brought this up, and like you know, I'm I'm sort of intrigued as, as somebody who's uh, who's not looking forward to going through that period of life. But, but like, I, at what point do you feel like you really stuff came? It, it feels like a, a lot of friends of mine get to a certain age, and and they um, and I don't think it's a male or female thing. It seems like everyone kind of gets to a certain age, and then there's this period of reflection, and um, and almost like this, this weird kind of slowdown that happens where it feels like, it almost feels people like feel like they're older than they really are because they're right. just contemplating what their life has been to date. And then they get to a certain piece with it and then they move on again. And I, I don't know, like how, how do you, what was it, what was it like for you and how long did it, how long did that process take for you to kind of? I I yeah. I am I am happier now than I've ever been in my life, and I'm I'm more at peace. Although I'm still I'm still a seeker and I'm still an explorer and I'm still trying to crack the veil and and uh, understand things. Um, but where did I? At what point did I did I reach that sense of peace? I uh, you know I think it really came for me once my sons were grown and on their own and I felt like, you know, I'm still here for them no matter what they want. 
but honestly, they don't need me anymore. They are they are doing a lot better at their ages than I would than I certainly was at that age. So I'm very proud of of, of the young men they've become and how they're living in their lives and and uh, you know they're taking care of themselves and doing a very good job of it. Um, so that definition of who I am, the the caretaker and the nurturer and the provider. You know, that is pulled away and, and uh, that no longer fits me. And there's some relief in that. There's a little bit of sense of loss and a kind of bittersweet feeling, too. Is, but, but there's also a kind of relief, you know, you look back and say, OK, now who am I? And I mean, I, I, I re- retained two definitions of myself. One was as a teacher and, and the other as a writer. And then finally, because Two Days Gone is doing so well, I, um, and I also had a couple books. Uh, I'm finishing up, up the second book for Thomas and Mercer. I had two books under contract to them as well. And the first book for Thomas and Mercer did very well. Um, so I reached a point where I don't need to teach anymore financially. So as of last January, um, I'm, I've retired from full-time teaching. So that leaves me with one job, and that's to be the best writer I can. And um, that takes about four hours a day. So it leaves, <laughs> me, it leaves me lots of opportunity to explore what has been my other abiding interest. And that, and that is trying to ascertain for my own satisfaction uh, what waits after this life. And uh, so that's, you know, I've been, I spent a lot of time reading and doing research and and uh, meditating and uh, the rest of the time writing. I was, uh, I, I've been looking for this everywhere, but I, I know that um, at some point I was researching a project and I, um, I heard that, that a lot of Japanese monks and samurai would have this practice where they would meditate on death and that that basically got rid of all their fears about it. And I thought, hey, that sounds great, (laughs) but I I can't really find good resources on what it would be like, uh, on what that practice would actually look like. Um, Yeah, I I don't, I I don't either because, well, I mean, after, after 50 some years of rejecting all organized religion, um, and I tried many of them, I finally came up with an answer to to some of the questions, the overriding questions I had about about why why life is so violent and painful, and people are, people can be so greedy and mean and, and base. Um, you know how how does that correlate with the things we were taught as children? I grew up as a Methodist, and and uh, I, I I quit going to to church I think when I was about twelve years old because I couldn't get any straight answers from anybody. And it took me that long to, to, in essence, devise my own personal religion that makes sense to me. And because of that, and because of lots of very weird, what I guess would be called supernatural or paranormal things that have happened to me throughout my life, I'm convinced that, there, that this, this is not the end, that there's just a, another step. And I'm... I'm actually very much looking forward to the next step. I don't want to get there anytime soon. 
but uh, I have no fear of death. I don't want it to be a bloody, painful, gory death uh, or prolonged death. But uh, when it's my time, I'm, I'm going to go gladly because I'm very confident in my own belief that uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be another interesting journey. It'll be another phase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. And uh, uh, sure. I want before we let you go, I, I want to... First of all, I want to re- remind everyone who's listening, we've been talking to Randall Silvis. He's the author of a large body of work, and I, I recommend checking out Digging in Deep. But we're, we've specifically talked about one series that he's, he's uh, written, and a uh, new book came out earlier this year called Walking the Bones, which is the second book in a series that started with Two Days Gone. Um, are there other titles that you have that are, that are coming out that we should have on our radar? Well, uh, one, my first book from Thomas and Mercer, Only the Rain, came out in, uh, actually, it was released as an Amazon First Reads in December of 2017. Okay. And, and then uh, it came out in hardcover in January of 2018, the same time Walking the Bones came out. And I'm, uh, I'm doing the final copy edit for uh, the uh, second book for Thomas and Mercer right now. It's called First the Thunder. And those are both... Uh, individual those, those are both standalone psychological thrillers huh. i will um all right so only the rain i will uh, i'll add that to my two to be red pile it looks like it's doing very well it is doing very well yeah the, the amazing thing about amazon and is that they have such a global reach and uh, as i said they released it for a, a month before the hardcover as a dig as an ebook on the Amazon first reads program. And in that one month alone, there were 150,000 downloads of it because of their promotional efforts. So it just, uh, yeah. it just boggles my mind, uh, the kind of influence that they can have. I, I have heard similar stories and yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it, it sounds, it sounds great. If you're able to be if catch that wave, it sounds like a great a great thing. Um, yeah. I want to uh, just remind everybody you've been listening to Thrill Seekers Radio. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This is a trademark copyrighted podcast, solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network LLC. Um, for this episode with Randall Silvis and all other episodes of Thrill Seekers, you can go to www.alexdolan. Dot com and that's www.alexdolan.com. Randall, if people want to find out more about you, um, where should they go? Oh, well, they could go to www.randallsilvis.com, but um, that website is kind of out of my hands like everything else requires some technical savvy my my son is a graphic designer so he handles the website and and honestly i never look at it uh i'm on twitter but and facebook but uh you know i look at those very sporadically as well i'm not i'm i'm not uh somebody who spends the entire day with social media i'm lucky to look at it a few times a week that may not be a bad thing. <laughs> that may be really good. Um, well, in that case, I'll, I'll advise people to, uh, to look up Randall Silvis on Amazon or the bookseller of your choice and just and dig in. Um, yeah, and, and, 
uh, one of these days, my co-host and I uh, at the Writers Hangout, which is a a podcast where we talk about writing and and, uh, the business of writing and so forth, anything that comes up, we just we just recorded a new episode. I think it's episode seven. And and he, um, my my co-host, John Fortunato, is currently editing it. So it it should be going up soon. And it's at uh, it's at the Writers Hangout dot com if anybody wants to listen to those episodes writershangout.com and could i subscribe through the podcast app on itunes uh i don't know that there's even a subscription but uh, okay. yeah it, it, it is on itunes again uh you know i talk and i, and I write and that's about all i do <laughs> and, uh, right so, yeah. so john john does all the editing and the technical stuff it might be a subscription link but it's uh, all the episodes are up on writershangout.com all right, great. I'll check it out. And I invite everyone who's listening to check it out as well. Um, Randall, great to talk to you again. And thanks for making the time to come on. And it's always good to talk to you, Alex. Thanks for asking me. All right, thanks. <laughs>